hey guys, welcome to Salt City. Great to have a bunch of guests here this morning. So I was thinking back to my college days this week, which I often do, and I was thinking about this time where I just went on this random road trip with a bunch of friends. So my dad will remember this, he's here. And uh, basically, we all met at my house, and we didn't know if we were going to do anything for spring break yet. And we just decided, this was the days before MapQuest and all that, way back in the ancient days, you know. So we pulled out an atlas, and we're like, oh, let's just go to West Palm Beach, Florida. And so we just got in the car and drove 22 hours to West Palm Beach, Florida. I was living in Indiana at the time. And I just remember at one point I'm driving and I'm so tired driving that I actually was drinking Mountain Dew. I had my shirt off and the window down, all three so that I could stay awake, right? And I'm blasting music as loud as I can on the radio. And we got there and of course I am just dead tired but we just kept going with our vacation and went to the beach and ended up getting really sunburnt and all this stuff. Here's the thing. I look back at that now and I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> like if there is one precious commodity to me as a father of five, soon to be six, it's sleep. Like what in the world was I thinking? Like I just willingly gave up sleep Here's, I think, something that all of us can relate to in our culture is just at times being tired. And I think sometimes we read through the scripture and we're like, okay, there's all these things that God wants me to do and we can come to church and it can kind of just feel like we get loaded down with more things that we can't do because at the end of the day, we just feel tired. And I think what this text that we're going to walk through this morning as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark is going to do is it's going to teach us how to walk with Jesus as tired disciples, as real human beings in the real world with limited capacity. And so essentially we're going to look at three encouragements to tired disciples. Just a little preview. We're going to see that Jesus works through ordinary people, that Jesus is in a category by himself and that Jesus heals generously. So we're in Mark chapter six, and we're gonna start with verse 30. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. 
When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So we are seeing in this passage that Jesus works through ordinary people. Isn't it comforting in a sense as you read through that, just how ordinary the disciples are? So just to give you a little background, a reminder from last week, the disciples had just been sent out by Jesus in twos and they'd been traveling itinerant missionaries and they're stopping at different people's houses and Jesus had warned them that as they entered people's houses, what was gonna happen is that some people were gonna like that but a lot of people were not gonna like that and so they were gonna kick them out of their house. So the disciples have been traveling which even in our day can be pretty exhausting but in that day was even more exhausting and they've also just been kind of beat up. They've been doing ministry. And so they just want to sit down and they just want to talk to Jesus about the ups and downs of their ministry. And Jesus says to them, oh man, guys, you guys seem tired. Let's go rest for a little while. Which, as we study through the Gospel of Mark, we know that Jesus has a little bit different agenda for the disciples than the ones that they're probably thinking that he has, right? And this story is no different. So they hop in a boat, they're going to the other side, and they're thinking, oh man, finally, we just get to go to a desolate place, a place where there's no people. We've just been around people so much. There was an old guy in ministry who told me one time, he said, ministry would be easy if you didn't have to deal with all the people. And I think that's kind of how they were feeling. And so they get to the other side and there are, just imagine this. You're like, man, finally I can just take a nap and relax. They get to the other side and the text says there are 5,000 men. So in that day, they counted the men. Likely there were 20,000 people, essentially like a football stadium full of people. For you introverts, you're like, oh man, it would be Terrible. Even for the extroverts, you're like, I still get tired sometimes and want to take a nap. They get to the other side and they are just absolutely worn out. And you can kind of see the look on their faces and they're looking to Jesus and they're like, we know what he's going to do. And you sort of see the contrast in the text, right? It says that Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And as they look and maybe they see his his eyes well up with tears. I kind of see myself in their shoes and I'm like, not compassion on the crowds. Come on. Like, let's get back in the boat and try to get back to the other side. Let's get away from these people. And Jesus' compassion begins to overflow in teaching. And you can see the disciples there. They're kind of nodding off as he's teaching. And then we see a couple things they suggest to Jesus, right? They come up to Jesus and they've got a couple suggestions for him. They're like, okay, hey, these people look hungry, right? And you kind of see the subtext there, right? They haven't eaten in a while. They're kind of like, we're hungry, right? 
Or like, hey, we should go buy him something to eat. Hey, maybe you should buy us something to eat. We're hungry. We're tired. We're absolutely finished. And Jesus does something in the text that on the surface, I think seems very insensitive, right? Because they're essentially trying to give him the hint, like we're hungry, we're tired, send the people away. And what does Jesus do? Do you guys have any food? Can you imagine how you'd feel in that moment? Like literally the most precious item that the disciples have at this moment, you know how it is, right? They're hangry. Like it's over, right? When you're tired and hungry, your lunch is the most precious thing that you have. And Jesus is like, what do you guys got? And they're like, ah, just a few loaves and some fish. And Jesus is like, give them to me. And you're right, there's 20,000 people watching. And so the disciples, they probably just don't want to look greedy, right? So they probably do it mostly out of guilt. But they grab their lunch and hand it to Jesus. And then Jesus starts praying. He's like, okay, guys, here's the plan. Go have everybody sit down in groups. We're going to feed all of them. The disciples are kind of looking at each other like, okay, I guess we'll do it, right? And they take the fish and the loaves, and we understand now, they didn't actually understand it at the time, that Jesus took a few loaves and a few fish and fed 20 thousand people. Guys, doesn't this give us some insight into how God wants to use us when we're at the end of our rope? When we're just tired, when we feel like we can't take another step in discipleship with Jesus, in being learning followers of Jesus. It shows us that if we will just bring what we have, Jesus doesn't ask us to bring what we don't have. He asks us to bring what we do have. What the disciples had was a little lunch and a tiny bit of energy. And for all their faults and failures, what they had in this moment was the willingness to do what Jesus asked them to do. And it just begs the question for all of us, are we willing to do what Jesus has asked us to do? Not are you willing to do what the person next to you is called by Jesus to do, but are you willing to give what you have? I think we often think, man, if I just had this talent or I just had this amount of money, then I would give it to Jesus. But in, until my tank is full, I don't have anything to give. And what Jesus is saying to each of us is, just give what you have. Jesus is not asking you to feed 20,000 people. He's just asking you to give him your lunch. And he'll do the feeding. Now, they didn't recognize exactly what Jesus was doing in the moment. But at one point down the road, they realized what had happened. And one of his best friends wrote it down for us. That's why we have it. You see, when you give what you have to Jesus, you get to see him in time do amazing things with it. And there is no 
greater privilege in the world than to give your life to Jesus, to watch him work through it, and to stand back and say, I gave this much and he did all of that. And you just get to stand in awe. Guys, I feel like this is the story of the church planting network that we're a part of. You guys know in 2010, so just seven years ago, in our church planting network, there actually was no church planting network at all. There was one church. And that church had below 3,000 people. And they got this idea at Cornerstone Church in Ames to plant a church in Iowa City. And then Iowa City got this idea to plant this church in Cedar Rapids. And then Cornerstone got this idea to plant another church in Cedar Falls. And now there's 10 churches and there's two more churches that are gonna be planted next year. And then there's gonna be more churches after that and more churches after that. And this past Easter, within our network in seven years, one church went to 10 churches and less than 3,000 people went to more than 10,000 people. Why? How does that happen? I know all the guys who are leading these churches. They're not that great. <laughs> I've heard half of them cuss <laughs> in anger, you know? Like we're just a bunch of messed up, ordinary people. We get tired, we get hangry. But here's the thing. We just keep showing up, bringing Jesus our lunch, saying, here you go. And we've watched him take the lunch and feed 20,000 people enough times to start to trust him a little bit. We start to think maybe he could actually do this again. And here's what I'm inviting you into. I want you to be a part of it. Because you can sit in the crowd you can come to all the events and you cannot be a part of it. You become a part of it when you bring your lunch. Jesus wants to use you in your ordinariness. Don't try to clean up your life first. Just come to him as you are and say, I'm willing. I'll do what you say. I'll be obedient. Second encouragement to us as tired disciples of Jesus is actually... Something not about us, but about Jesus himself. And it's this, that Jesus is in a category by himself. This is one of the funniest passages I've read in a while. I'm kind of looking forward to talking about it. It says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. He cried out because they, saw, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid.'" Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So keep this in mind. They were already tired. They come to the other side of the lake. There's 20,000 people. 
Jesus teaches those people for most of the day. He asks the disciples for their lunch. They feed the crowd. And then Jesus doesn't say, okay, guys, nap time. You guys have done a good day's work. He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Wait, I thought they just went to the other side of the lake. Now they're going to another side of the lake. And they go out on the lake already being super tired. And they start rowing this boat. And by the way, Jesus doesn't jump in the boat with them. He's like, guys, I got to pray. They're like, okay, we get it. To go to the other side of the lake and there's this wind storm, of course, that comes up. And so they're rowing for possibly four hours and not getting anywhere. It's at night. Jesus doesn't come walking to them until dawn. Can you imagine? Yeah, you ate you haven't slept, you're rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and getting absolutely nowhere. Doesn't life feel that way sometimes? You're just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and you're not getting anywhere. And this is where things get weird. In this text, I love this text. It's so funny to me. It says, Jesus prayed, and then he went for a walk on the lake. You know why it's funny? I feel like I have a lot of liberty teaching this text. It says, he was about to pass by them. Right? It doesn't say Jesus went out onto the lake because he was going to go help his disciples. You know what Jesus is doing? He's water skiing without a boat. He's just having a good time, which made me think, like I went on this massive tangent that I got to share with you guys. It just made me think like, what are the other things that Jesus did that aren't recorded in the Bible where he just did crazy things? So you got to understand, Jesus uses his power to have fun going for a walk on a lake. So I just imagined like, did he jump off mountains and fly when people weren't looking? Did he just like pick up thousand pound rocks? I mean, what other things did Jesus do in his free time? At the end of the gospel of John, it says that they didn't write everything down. Jesus totally marches to the beat of his own drummer. Have you ever met somebody like that? You just kind of love being around them because they just kind of do their own thing. One of the people that I've met who I love, who's one of those guys is my father-in-law, Don Hine. And uh, Melissa, you know, I've seen, I've seen, you know, it with my own eyes. Just, he just lives in his own world in the most endearing and awesome way. And I remember when Melissa and I were first dating, she told me a story about how her dad used to walk around the house in his whitey tidies when her friends were spending the night, <laughs> right? So you'd wake up in the morning. I mean, imagine this, right? You wake up, friends spend the night. Dad's just sitting in his whitey tidies at the computer, just working on some bookwork or whatever. Right? Just totally, 100% doing his own thing. I think that illustrates in some way what Jesus is doing here. Right? He's just walking around on a lake. What's the purpose? I don't know. He can do it. Here's the thing. What we're seeing in this text, though, what becomes clear is not just that Jesus is marching to the beat of his own drummer, what he actually says is something astounding and crazy in the text. And that's 
that he is the drummer. He actually says in this text that he's God. When he says, take courage, it is I, what commentators recognize is that Jesus is making a reference to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, you remember the story Moses with the burning bush. This bush just randomly catches on fire, but it's not burning up. And so he steps up to it, and a voice out of the bush says, this is God. And he says, hey, I know you're sending me to the people of Israel, but I need to know your name. And God says to him, I am who I am. And in that one sentence, in theological terms, what you get is the aseity of God. What the aseity of God means is that God is the self-existent one. For all of us, our existence is derivative, meaning we are created beings. God is the uncreated creator of everything. It means he's in a category all alone, completely by himself. The Lord is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The disciples see Jesus. They think it's a ghost. They're terrified. He says, take heart. The self-existent one is here. The one who has no beginning and who has no end. I am God. And here's what the disciples do back as Jesus says that. Maybe something that we would have done if we were in the moment and didn't have the perspective we have. It says in the text that they were amazed. That word amazed, it literally means they were at the end of the rope. They were flabbergasted by Jesus. They're like, you kidding me? We've been rowing this boat all night long. What are you doing? Out for a walk on the lake? Are you kidding me? They're not even amazed that he's walking on the lake. They're mad. And the reason that the text gives is it's because they didn't understand about the loaves. What did they not understand about the loaves? They didn't understand that the uncreated creator of the universe who exists outside of time was standing in their midst and he would not be controlled by their agenda and he would provide them with everything that they needed. See, they got mad because they were still following their own agenda rather than following the agenda of Jesus. You know what we need to do when we're tired? We need to follow Jesus. Which means, here's my call to you. Do something kind of crazy this week. You know, I think one of the things that just tires us out a lot is we just get in 
our routines. And so we see each other at church and like, how was your weekend? Oh, it was pretty good. You know, I watched a little football and kind of just hung out at my house. What if next weekend we asked each other that question and somebody said something like, you know what, Friday night, like 10 o'clock, I just went out to Lake Nokomis and did a polar bear dip by myself. That would be, it seems to me, a very Christ-like thing to do. Right? Sometimes we just have to get off of our agenda and we have to be willing to follow Jesus where he's taking us. You know, there's this saying that, that people say all the time. is that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. You guys heard that? Do you know what I think this text shows us? He's definitely going to give you more than you can handle. You guys feel that? You feel like the disciples rowing that boat in life right now? You feel like, man, I just can't go on anymore. Do you know what I think Jesus is saying to you? He's saying, just trust me. I'm not on your agenda. I'm not on your timeline. But you can trust me. Last but not least, we've seen that Jesus works through ordinary people. He's in a category by himself. We can trust him. And lastly, that he heals generously. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Notice they still haven't slept yet. They hit the shore. Everybody's tired. Jesus walks on the shore. They kind of anchor the boat up, and absolute mayhem breaks loose. Somebody recognizes Jesus, and they recognize that he's the healer. And so you can almost see it, right? Everyone's running around. They're like, anybody sick in your house? Everybody's putting them on mats. And these people are just crisscrossing the region, running as fast as they can to get to Jesus. Now, maybe if you have some really serious condition in our society, you would do the same thing. But I think that because we live in sort of a medically advanced society, maybe we wouldn't have as much desperation as they did. But I just thought of, you know, friends of mine have served with different ministries overseas where they're doing, you know, um, like they're, they're medical staff, essentially. And so they go to these third world countries and they set up shop and they basically get the word out that they're going to be treating sick people. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people will line up at these medical tents, just hoping that that will be the answer to their problem. And this is like that times a thousand. You've got God on the earth and he is the healer. And, and maybe thus far in the Gospel of Mark, what we might have thought is that Jesus' healing touch is only for a few specific people. We sort of have seen him 
touching a leper and we've seen him healing this woman who has a discharge of blood and we saw him raise this little girl from death. But what we see in this text is that Jesus' healing touch is for everyone. He is generous. He gives out of all that he has. And we've already seen he's the all-sufficient one. He owns everything. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And isn't this amazing? In these two back-to-back passages, we see that the all-sufficient creator of the ends of the earth, the all-powerful one, is also incredibly gentle and compassionate toward the most broken people in society. He welcomes them. And it says that every single one of them who comes to him and touches them, he heals them. He is a good and generous God, which I think would leave some people in this room with a question. Why hasn't he healed me? And maybe you've heard some bad teaching where it's like, man, if you just had more faith, if you just ran the way that these people ran, if you just begged him to heal you more, then he would heal you. I want to encourage you that the Jesus of this entire gospel is the Jesus that we know. You can't just isolate this one passage and say, this is how Jesus always works at all times and all places because just before this, we see the disciples in suffering and Jesus doing nothing about it for four hours. One day, Jesus will heal all of us. 100% completely. All disease will be gone. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Jesus is able to heal everyone, but for some reason, he does not heal everyone every time they ask. And I want you to be encouraged that he loves you. I don't know why, specifically with your situation, but he loves you. And the reason I can be so confident of that is because of the entire direction that this narrative is pointing us to. See, we are working our way toward the cross. And here's what we see at the cross. We see someone who is crazy enough, who is wild enough to die for us. We see the Jesus who was walking on the water. Somebody so outside of the box that he could think up dying in our place for our sins. And we see so, someone so loving and so compassionate that he would offer it to the whole world. Guys, I just switched up the text that I was memorizing with my boys. I told you about Galatians 2.20. I just switched to the classic John 3.16. And this week I was standing next to my son Luke's bed And I just walked him through John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. My son, Luke 6. I said, Luke, do you want to put your trust in Jesus? 
every time I've asked him that before, I've asked my kids in, in groups and different things like that, and they've all unanimously been like, no. <laughs> and my son Luke in that moment said, yeah, yeah, dad, I do. I wanna put my trust in Jesus. And I was reminded once again of the generosity of Jesus. He looks at the whole world. He has compassion on each person that he has made. He's crazy enough to die for us and he offers us salvation as a free gift. All you have to do is run to him by faith. There's nothing else. There's no works that can earn you your way to God. There's nothing that you have to do. The basis of our acceptance with God is not our love for him. It's his love for us. Do you see his generosity? Do you see his beauty? Come to him. Let's pray. Jesus, so many of us are just tired. Some of us are tired because um, we don't know you yet. We're tired of just trying to work our way in life, trying to perform, trying to please other people, trying to live life on our own. Others of us, we're just tired. We've been Christians for a while, but we've just kind of forgotten about you. Tried to live independently, maybe even tried to obey your commands on our own. And uh, I just ask that you would meet everyone here uniquely this week. Would you just, uh, even in this moment, God, would you be with us, be ministering to each of us, showing us who you are, teaching us to walk in dependence on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.